Welcome to the Bar Variations Podcast. Go behind the bar with me, your host, Michelle Duvall. As I interview leaders in the industry, we'll talk about how bar impacts their lives, what's inspiring them today, and take the conversations that usually stay in the studio out into the community. Grab a seat because there's plenty of room at the bar. If you're a certified hashtag bar addict like I am, then you can definitely appreciate a bar-inspired graphic tank top or sweatshirt. Good news. For those of us who can't get enough, Bar Goods Co. will add an extra bit of fun to your workout with apparel designed for and inspired by the bar. And if you need that extra little bit of motivation to get yourself to class, then you'll be happy to know that they use only the softest fabrics available to help you express your love of bar to the world check out their go-to line of screen printed goodies included workout tops, sweatshirts, and even infant onesies for bar addicts in training. And guess what? Listeners of the Bar Variations podcast can use the code VARIATIONS25 to take 25% off their first order. That's code VARIATIONS25 in all lowercase letters. Visit bargoods.com now to start shopping. This podcast is sponsored by Point Studio. They are the best gripping socks for bar, yoga, dance, and basically all studio workouts. These socks are the next best thing to being barefoot. And listeners of the Bar Variations podcast get 15% off their order with the code BARVARIATIONS. That's code BARVARIATIONS, all one word, to receive 15% off your next purchase at pointstudio.com. Welcome back to the Bar Variations Podcast. This is episode 20. That means the year is almost over. I'm sure a lot of us are very excited about that, uh, seeing as we've been pretty much on lockdown, at least a little lockdown again, um, and so on and so on. I just wanted to give a little update on um, Eric Taylor and Burn Bar. It will be released very, very soon. So you'll hear us talk about the burn bar being sold out. It is coming out again this fall and winter, so please stay tuned. You've probably seen me use this amazing portable, lightweight, light finger touch, tip touch only in um, some recent bar variations videos on the video library. So check those out if you haven't already. It's so awesome. Seriously, the most portable bar you've ever seen around. So check that out. I just wanted to give you guys an update on that. Also updates in Bar Variations land. We've got some live stream classes happening on the video library. Soon to be coming um, to drop in classes on a new platform that will give you guys a Peloton-like experience. It's in beta testing. I'm so excited to be partnering with this company and if you want to know more about it, jump on the mailing list. I'm going to be talking about this in the upcoming weeks and letting you know how you can get involved, how you can take class with me at a pretty affordable rate, and so on. Um, also, the trainings are still there on the library. I've added the technique workshop, so if you listened to last episode, I linked to that. And let's see, what else is new? <laughs> Everything and nothing, that's my quote of this year. Everything and nothing is happening. 
Um, I have the mini masterminds are happening. If you are not a part of the Barbarians Facebook group, jump in that. There's so many supportive, amazing people in that group. And I'm going to be dropping in once a month. Next one I'll be dropping in is September 7th. Um, so stay tuned for that. And then on August, ooh, I didn't write my calendar date, at the end of August, I'm going to be posting a mini, mini mastermind all about teaching on camera. And that's August 24th at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm going to be sharing my experience, sharing my best practices and tips, as well as putting you in the hot seat and troubleshooting your issues, maybe questions that you have. Um, this is to help support the pivot in your business that we've seen in 2020. So look out for that. Best way to stay in the know is always the newsletter and mailing list. So sign up for that. And I'm very excited about this interview. Listen up. It's going to be awesome. Eric and I have crossed paths uh, without even knowing it. So it was really fun to discover that as well. Enjoy everybody. Are you a bar addict, a social butterfly, or just getting started in bar fitness? Do you want to feel good and look good during your sweat session? If the answer is yes, you must visit fitforbar.com and shop their exclusive activewear and athleisure styles designed for your bar workout and beyond. From hats to bar socks and everything in between, each piece from this female-owned boutique has been bar tested and approved from the best in the business. And with free domestic shipping, easy returns, and a buy now, pay later option, fitforbar.com provides an online shopping experience fit for a bar queen. So go ahead and treat yourself to some new apparel from fitforbar.com. You deserve it. Happy shopping. Hi, listeners. I'm here today with Eric Taylor. He is the founder and inventor of Burn Bar and is dedicated social entrepreneur as seen through his internationally recognized nonprofit dance company, Eric Taylor Dance, and its social impact division, ETV Outreach. Starting with an MFA in dance from NYU Tisch, Taylor developed a passion for movement in all of its modalities. He is a certified Pilates instructor, speaker, and dance writer, choreographer, director, inventor, and art curator. He has been invited to teach, perform, or speak on dance fitness at Google Goldman Sachs Merrill Lynch. Ooh, this is a good one. Michelle, here we go. Codwallander with um, Taft. Correct me, audience, if I butchered that one. Supportive Housing Network of New York, Give Me Dance Center, and more. He currently curates 20-plus ther therapeutic movement workshops a week for ETV outreach across every borough of New York and continues to be a visionary in dance and fitness. Welcome, Eric. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank yeah. you. And um, as we were kind of talking beforehand, I've kind of known about you quite some time peripherally, but obviously I've mixed you up with somebody else. So my apologies for my slight stalker wrong information as before. Oh, yeah. No. Uh, yeah. We're definitely based in New York City, not New Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> it's a small town, if anyone can believe that. Um, but yeah, I know that we share the same undergrad and I want to kind of take the listeners down memory lane a little bit. And um, can you tell us how you got your start in movement in general? So were you a small child? Were you always dancing, always moving? Or did it come later in life for you? 
I was always dancing, always moving. I'm a twin. And, um, I was born first, and my mom always likes to tell the story that I was born breech, so I did a grand jeté. To my brother. So I was definitely, um, she, she always says I was born dancing. I put on shows as a young child um, and started choreographing, directing, producing at eight years old rallying the troops and auditioning kids in the neighborhood and making little tickets and you know putting on a variety act and we used to do I used to do that for all you know every year um like three or four a year I used to do that and and until I um uh, went to junior high and I was in the drama department. I learned theater and then I uh, auditioned for Los Angeles County High School for the Arts as a theater major where I had an incredible opportunity to study with wonderful instructors and teachers. And that's where I was really introduced um, and as a freshman to dance and everyone just told me oh my gosh you have natural turnout oh my god your feet are incredible oh my god you're you know you're perfect you're gifted with all these gifts so i started training um in high school um as a theater major and you know studied dance um kind of uh, on the side and, and movement for theater majors mm -hmm. and then when i went to university of the arts i um, originally um, auditioned as a theater major, but freshman year, I, I, I switched to the dance department. I auditioned for the dance department. I switched my first semester because I had, I realized quickly that the curriculum as a theater major is, is was stuff that I had already learned for four years at high school for the arts. I was, you know, starting with Shakespeare and we studied, I had studied that for four years. So I said, oh my gosh, I'm, I want to dance. And so I got into the dance department. So I had a late start professional training for, you know, on a professional level, but I, um, graduated at the top of my class. A lot of men, right? Like it's pretty common. That's why I asked, like, if you started earlier, cause, um, in the dance world, it is just more common for men to start later because of bullying, because of well, the parents don't know or whatever it is. Um, so I think I, you know, for your, I mean, just saying your mom to saying, <laughs> coming out with Garanja Tang, I love it. And so your parents were always super supportive of, you know, your interests and hobbies, it sounds like. Yes, definitely. They were always supportive. You know, I grew up in a very conservative neighborhood in Glendale, Pasadena, um, in California. And um, I was bullied. And I think I could definitely say without a doubt, if I didn't go to high school for the arts, I would have had a very different path in my life. Yeah, I, I really owe it all to high school for the arts because they really set me on my path to become a choreographer and a director and follow my dreams. And when you're in a place where you're with kindred spirit, spirits, you know, we say like, oh, my spirit animal or like my people or whatever. And that's kind of how I felt like for those you are listening that don't know about the University of the Arts, it's a conservatory type university that you get a BFA. But if we're really honest, you're taking your <laughs> literature classes are like, you know, superhero history of music. They're, they're not, they're, they're not the same, uh, uh, liberal arts classes, I should say as a regular quote unquote 
college. So it's a really performance based. So being, I know, you know, knowing that feeling of being able to go into a place where you're like, I've, I'm home and being a young teenager with so many hormones and emotions and shitty, you know, excuse my language, but just shitty other people like trying to take you down because of their own insecurities. Like being able to have that incubator is, uh, is so great. And what, what I think social media can and can't do at the same time, right? You can really find your people out on the internet and you can also really find not so nice people. So, uh, learning to navigate that at a young teenage age, uh, must've been really, really special for you. Um, yeah, well, I unfortunately did not have social media when I was at University of the Arts. Um, okay, I don't think that, I think that was a, yeah. cell phone. I was like, what is, what are you texting? I, what is this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Um, so yeah, there was no social media or barely cell phones uh, back when I graduated. I'm sad to say, but, um, and, or I think um, even when I was doing my master's, I'm dating myself. No, it's okay. I, I told, I told Eric before listeners, I would not out him, but when I went to, I have a good story for you. This is talking like, and again, I graduated in 2008. It's not that long ago, but it's also not yesterday. It's longer than I want to admit, but whatever. But when I arrived, it was the first time they were getting a computer lab. So they were like all excited that they were getting these a- those Apple computers that were like all in one. They were like the big mm-hmm. dummy type things. Mm-hmm. I had floppy disks. I was like, oh, I don't know. This is what I guess what you save this on. So you, I go to the computer lab because I didn't have my own laptop yet. And I went to save something and I'm shoving this stupid floppy disk into the slot. And I go to the guy and I'm like, why is this not working? He's like, that's for a zip drive. I like quietly got my stuff and left because I like damaged like three of their computers because oh, I, wow. oh I was God. like, I'm so <laughs> but it wasn't, again, we think about social media and these social things that we have now as just a part of life. And they certainly were not. So Facebook was to stock your dorm room person only like it was to find the party pictures and the night after or the day after it was not to be and it was not at the time a network of making connections and for business or for outside of your actual network (laughs) yeah i totally hear you with that social media Without social media, I think social media took my dance company to the next level. I mean, we've gotten jobs and gigs and all over, all around the world, invitations for dance festivals through Instagram. And it's it's been great. I agree with you. I love it. I think it's amazing. I'm glad I like accepted that it was a thing. I was like, I like for so long, I was like, I don't need it. I don't need it. And it, it is a hundred percent of the business I do now. It's why I know you. It's why I know everybody that I'm speaking to on this podcast. And it's, it's amazing. And I think, you know, to tie it back in with schooling, like oh, to have it at such a young age, I don't know what that feels like, but to be able to find your people. And if you're able to, you know, even listeners, you know, be able to go online and find a community and stick with that and feel uplifted and supported. It's so amazing. It can be really, really awesome. And no longer do you have to feel like you need to spend thousands of dollars to take a trip to learn at 
a workshop once a year and then hopefully take it home and remember everything. (laughs) No. And if you have a startup company or a dance company or a product or any type of business, it's a free platform to advertise yourself. I mean, it's got, they've gotten really strict with how many viewers see something without boosting an ad. And that's a whole nother story I can talk to you about on the, on the artistic yeah. side, but um, yeah, <laughs> talk forever about social media, yeah. the, the ins and outs of it. <laughs> yeah. And it, I mean, in first and foremost, it's free and I'm totally with you. And so what I, I mean, I've definitely have experienced this lately where, uh, you know, I have to pay the piper and that's fine. And I respect that. And it's annoying, but it's, all, you know, it, it, yeah, but it's, and I think it's worth yeah. it. Yeah. It's so worth it. It's yeah. so, so worth it because again, that price, I'm no longer having, you know, I don't have to make a flyer. I don't have to, she's, exactly. you know what I mean? Don't like I put something up on a bulletin board in the laundromat. <laughs> yeah. Cold calls meant you used to cold call people and be like, Hey, are you interested in my product? Which I do yeah. want to make sure we talk about that as well. Cause yeah. I think it's something similar that we talk about. Um, so going back to like you arts, um, we went to the school that, I mean, at the time I was there, we had 19 people in my modern major class. And I think just under 50 people in the graduating dance department, and then 230 something in the whole school. <laughs> so it's very small. So for those of you that don't know it, it is very focused. And um, kind of the question I want to ask you, Eric, is about, um, that preparation of being an entrepreneur, like, did you feel like you arts in general or just college experience in general prepared you in any way as an entrepreneur? Well, thank you for that question. I definitely um, saw my professors and their entrepreneurial um, endeavors, you know, my Pat Thomas was my gram teacher and I just remember, wow, she's, she's this amazing empowered woman who is coming to Philadelphia on the Amtrak and teaching for two days and then going back to New York city and teaching at the Graham school and then taking the Concorde to Paris and studying work on the Paris opera ballet then flying back to New York city and doing the same thing all over again. And she, and I used to ask her all the time, I said, do you, so this is just you, you're, you're working for yourself. She said, yeah, this is all me. And, you know, and, and, and Ruthie, I remember she, Ruthie Andrew and she she had a small dance company too, and and Camille Palio was one of my instructors. Oh my God! Wait, stop. We got. She needs her own topic. Camille. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> she was the most one of the most inspiring people I met at University of the Arts. If I mean, anyone wants to know what's up with feminism, go read her books and get your mind blown up. Yes. Head. Oh, she is. Yeah, and so yeah, all the instructors were, you know working on their books or working on, you know, out in the field. That's, I think, what the difference is between University of the Arts and NYU. At NYU, the instructors are instructors, but at UArts, the the, um, instructors are professionals working in their field. Mm -hmm. That's what the difference is. And I saw that difference very clearly. So yes, and maybe, I I think um, my undergrad, and I'm sure you know, I, I, I got the opportunity, I loved improv, mm. so I got to express myself as a, as a you know, 
dance maker and choreographer and, and had the chance to dance. And then um, I'm sure you know who he is because he's a, kind of a legend, but Manfred Fishbeck asked oh, me in his company. And really, I mean, I, I owe my dance career and my dance company to him because he not only, you know, have to be technically proficient as a, as a strong dancer, but you really have to have choreographic skills. At the time I was in the company, I was a sophomore and showing work in Berlin, mm. when the, you know, wall has, was still coming down at 18, 19 years old is when I got to start showing my work because I was studying work on the company members and we were touring all over Germany, all over the Eastern seaboard. So I, yeah, I mean, he, I said, I want to, I want to have a company like him where I collaborate with the, the dancers and the, the dancers aren't just dancing uh, choreography that I create. I want to, I love that collaborative process where you're working with, you know, commissioning a, a composer and, and working with dancers who actually have a voice and, you know, and, and I love collaboration. So he really taught me that and, and I owe a lot to him. So thank you, Manfred, if you're out there listening somewhere. I'm going to like tap him. Oh my God. Um, I, and again, I hope everyone Googles these people and they're such understated, humble human beings. And I don't think get enough praise and I'm with you. I, it took me a little bit post college because the, when I graduated, the market crashed and well, no one's giving out money. <laughs> Nobody was funding anything at the time. And it, it was hard. A lot of jobs went away and it was like, you did it cause you loved it. Mm -hmm. But it, it took a long time for me to realize that that entrepreneurial spirit and watching my teachers hustle do the yeah. hustle, New York to Philly, to their own companies, to their own whatever, to um, being brought into Pilates, to fitness, to be like, hey, you can do other things and support this thing. And also to have a space of truly expressing yourself and collaborating with your peers in a very authentic way and also not always a fun way, right? Like <laughs> you're dealing with such a small crowd, but also not everyone's personalities are the same. So being able to learn, I realize I learned more about business there than I really thought. And the more that I can put names to things, I'm like, oh, I learned that. Le I remember learning that lesson. I remember, you know, and, and watching people and watching people really go for their own dreams and make it happen is yeah inspiring and then to bring it back to manfred i mean his i took his um composition class and it is the way he composes work is a huge influence on even how i teach today so it kind of brings me to another like question like i kind of left it for later but like um do you ever think about composition in the dance sense in your fitness classes like repeating phrases or changing quality of movement etc absolutely i mean to be totally honest i don't teach anymore i you know i started this outreach program um really with a mission to teach dance to people who don't ever have access to dance or can afford dance in in parts of the city that don't even have any dance so um i and I fell into that uh, by chance when I was teaching a Pilates class to the CEO of 
postgraduate center for mental health. Mm. And that opened a door to teaching a Pilates and then movement expression style workshop to non-dancers who had severe mental illness and disabilities and trying to navigate all those different types of um, personalities uh, and, you know, non-dancers with lots of um, um, issues that they were facing, formerly homeless, formerly incarcerated. Um, I And that one workshop turned into five workshops a week. And at the same time, I still have professional Pilates clients and I did incorporate dynamics and repeating phrases, and of course. And I, I, I loved using compositional tools when I, when I taught uh, dance as well. I did master classes. And, um, but I, I don't teach currently anymore because I just don't have the time to teach. That's to be perfectly honest. No, I um, but, you can't. Yeah. I can't do it all. I mean, as I was saying before we started recording, um, I did have a small, you know, pickup dance company just to see if this is something I want to continue because I always believed if you're not seeing what you want to see out there, then maybe you should consider it's maybe your job to then put it out there. So because I wasn't seeing the movement I wanted to do and I had, I had things to say with my body and it I didn't have words. I mean, the fact that I'm doing a podcast, hello, call me like five years ago. I'd be like, yeah, right. I, was like, <laughs> yeah. I don't want anyone to hear my voice. It's horrible. Yeah, um, no, but you have a voice and it's, yeah, be the change you want to see in the world. That's what one of my mantras. Yeah. And just being able to kind of take those skills. Like, I mean, I, I say this like repeatedly, like you just don't know what experiences are going to inform or plant a seed for the future. And, you know, you went to grad school and that's such a huge accomplishment to go to grad school and NYU and Tish, by the way. And so not going to, my husband's an NYU Tish grad, or now Gallatin, anyways. I feel like NYU people also have the same, like you are, it's like excitement, but on a way larger level of like, I'm going to NYU, blah, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of a club yeah it's like a yeah it's a thing which is I think if any young listeners are listening out there if you if you want to have the college experience you want to join a place that makes you feel like you're in a club because they are still the people I call upon even if I don't talk to them every day like I know I can reach out to the people that I went to school with and I know my husband feels the same way about you know his class and all of that um but having not gone to business school and kind of tying it back into entrepreneurship what are like some top skills maybe more from like your grad school that you learned about business that kind of planted the seed for the future having not gone to business school communication 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 asking for help um uh, if you don't know the answer um you know surrounding yourself by other like-minded people and people who believe in you and um you know top being, being organized you had in grad school you had to be organized i mean so i became hyper organized and i um you know other top skills i learned about business not being at business school well i just have to say one thing i wish nyu and uarts threw you a bone not even did i did you, did you even get a resident how to write a resume let alone how to write a grant or how to become a fiscally sponsored artist or and those 
those are workshops that I'm offering right now to the to um, I know we we talked briefly about her, but the director, a current director of the universe of University of the Arts Dance Department, and she was all for it, but that you know went away really quickly. You know, it was like a she was so into it. She's like, can you come and talk to the dancers about how to become a fiscally sponsored artist? And I said, yes, I can very easily. I can. I can do a two hour master workshop and how to become a fiscally sponsored artist and how to start a 501 C three in the United States. I can definitely do that, but you know, that never happened. I don't, it's I, so unfortunate that even in fitness, like this goes not just in the dance world, but I believe our artists and the fitness industry have a lot of crossovers. And what I don't understand is cool we're making a lot of really beautiful movers we're making a lot of people execute movement really well how do you capitalize on that exactly <laughs> and no one no one is talking about it i, no. I did uh, before you i i don't i think it'll air right the month before you but um i interviewed a woman lauren lavelle from Philadelphia and she teaches workshops about finances to people in the fitness world and it's branched out because it's no the fact that it's like yeah no bones are thrown nobody's teaching you how to do it it's like but there's got to be people that know and if you don't know wouldn't it behoove this whole college or whatever this whole institution to then be able to give back to that institution or support other alumni or to support other people going there. Um, because I believe the more, you know, the more like you're able to make, you can do things like your ETD outreach program and give back to the community, but having to struggle, that is a big thing. And I don't know if you hold the same view, but as a dancer, like, you suffer in your body because it's painful and you're struggling to like be noticed and be the best. And do you find that, did you ever find that that kind of struggle mentality in order to be successful ever held you back in any way? I think that it, 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 it put, it didn't hold me back. Um, it pushed me harder. Mm -hmm. it, it did the opposite. It put mm -hmm. it, it added fuel to my fire. And that's one thing I always say to my dancers. And it's one of the burn bar mantras. It's like, find your fire. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I, I used, I tried to always use negative negativity and, uh, and see things from a different perspective, not from my own ego fear-based thinking. And I think that really is the definition of a miracle is to be able to see something from a different perspective and, and, and utilize that perspective and move forward and always keep moving forward. That's what Phyllis Lamhut thank bless her. She said to me, she's my competition composition teacher. And she has this high pitch, like, poltergeist voice <laughs> and she would she said to me she said always find the gestalt of what you're doing and never stop making dance ever you know she would say that to me in my ear and it just would shrill inside and and, and fire me up and she i still hear her voice and and wow that was I, yeah i I don't care. I graduated in 1999 from uh, my with my master's at NYU, and she just came to a show that I um, 
premiered uh, last November, she was in the audience and it was coming full circle. Wow, t 20 years. She, and she's still teaching and she's, she's legendary. So, and she was like, I, she was thrilled and I was thrilled. So anyway, yeah. Um, great. Well, and I think, um, just judging by your language, are you a fellow spirit junkie? Did you ever go through Gabby Bernstein's coaching program or anything like that? Uh, I believe it or not, like I, um, before she was a, an internationally known name, mm -hmm. um, many, many, many years ago, I studied, um, a, uh, Marianne Williamson, I would go to her lectures and listen to all her CDs and study A Course in Miracles. And, um, and um, I'm a very spiritual person by nature. And, um, but yeah, she, she was one of my heroes back in like, you know, the early 2000s. And um, so I was, I, she was on my radar way before she was, uh, you know, running for president, which I, I never thought in a million years she would do, but. Um, I know. So I know very current. Uh, she is now dropped out of the race at this point. Um, I, I, you know, in the way it's set up, I mean, I wish she had more of a, a mainstream media platform to speak upon um, because she, Marianne Williamson is a power house and I talk a lot about fear and I talk a lot about, you know, concepts of the, in the Course in Miracles. And so for the listeners, if you want to know kind of more about what we're talking about, you should check these women out because it's where it's at, man. Yes. <laughs> I would not be here with a company because I would have been consumed by my fear and mm -hmm. ego-based thinking. It would have eaten me alive. But yeah, I really set me, helped set me on my path to, Hands down. It's the to reason. where I am today. Yeah, it's the reason I'm doing what I'm doing today because, and we'll get into it in, uh, in a moment because we'll talk about uh, burn bar and manufacturing and all that. And I had a big, no pun intended, burn in the past. And I was like, I can't do this again. I was totally like snuffed out. I was like, no, I'm good. I'll just hustle, hustle and do the thing and maybe something will happen. Man, when I was introduced to the work, I was like, explosion like you can't stop me like yeah. <laughs> I'm a you know and by the time this airs I'll have a child and I'm like he doesn't know what's coming because I'm holding his hand and we're just running we're going we gotta go <laughs> Got things to do dude and we're gonna train you and you're gonna whatever who cares about school here can you hold a camera great awesome I'll teach you everything you need to know <laughs> um but I, Burn Bar, I want to hear how that concept got started, where it came from, and you can tell the listeners what it is. Absolutely. Well, it is the first truly portable ballet bar. There's a lot of, if you Google portable ballet bar, you'll see lots of portable ballet bars, but not one that you can put together in about eight seconds, and it's four pounds, and it goes in a tote bag and you can take it anywhere and it's you can literally bar anywhere anytime 24 hours a day and you can do it with your favorite digital platform um, we are working on a burn bar technique yeah. but that's, that's down that's down the road a little bit but um but how how did burn bar it was a light bulb moment like that mm -hmm. Oprah moments where she has those aha moments i was i, I sprained my ankle um i um, like 
dancers do all the time, um, but not in the studio, walking down the street and being clumsy, like dancers just can't walk down the street. And that cliche is totally true. It's very true. Um, and uh, I got, I left the uh, urgent care with crutches. And I thought, the first thing I thought was like, of course, I, I was like, well, I, I'm not gonna be able to work out. I'm not gonna be able to take bar. I'm not gonna be able to go to the gym. But I was standing at the red light and I was using the crutches um, and my injured wrapped ankle I started doing attitude swings by holding on to the crutches. And I was like, oh, wow, I can still engage my quads and my glutes and my thigh. And like, this is super cool. Um, and so and then I tried it at home with just one crutch. And I thought, wow, this is, wow, this is really cool. Like, it really forces you to use and engage your core as opposed to a traditional bar or a freestanding bar where you can kind of cheat and put pressure on you know, you do not use your core, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And then I, the next week I um, get these uh, vitamin infusions, you know, those, uh, every, it's, it's all the rage. I, I um, like once every three months get a vitamin infusion at home and, and, uh, and the nurse brought this little lightweight, like 14 inch IV pole that weighs like one pound and made out of aluminum, lightweight aluminum, very durable. And then it extended to almost my height. And I thought, oh my God, <laughs> what if you put the crutch on top of the IV pole and you have a portable valet bar, you just need an engineer to engineer it. And I was like, that like, I, I was exploding and so I was like oh my god this is so freaking cool so I went on the internet and I was like portable ballet bars da, 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 da. I tried to find and nowhere did I ever find and then I, I actually hired my um my I didn't hire him but I asked my um my genius um director of of my dance company at the time Andrew Tran who has his own social media company now um and he did an extensive global search on portable ballet bars and we found out that there was nothing like this <laughs> on the market so i quickly um uh jotted down the idea and like you know they say um take your idea and the quickest way to like make sure that's and you know you mail it to yourself so i did that right away i mailed the idea to myself and then i started and then i started talking to someone um who did product uh infomercial products and he told me to talk to a, a patent attorney mm -hmm. uh, and and then they did a quick search and found that there wasn't anything like it and then i, I started the patent pending process mm -hmm. and copyright process and and then and from there i um hired an engineer and went through one engineer and then to find my second engineer, Evan Huggins, he um, designed the current version of it. The, f the first version had four legs, but I quickly discovered through working on, on prototypes that a tripod base is much stronger than a quad pod base, mm -hmm. um, just geometrically speaking. Um, I was never good at geometry, but yeah. You are. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, so we're, now we're here with, um, I have 40 prototypes in my, um, in my closet here and there's production is, is, um, is in full swing. That's amazing. Um, what is so great, because you're in New York City and knowing this, intellectual property is upheld in the court of New York to the highest standard. It can be a, 
an idea and all you have to do is mail it to yourself. And I think that is so amazing and so empowering, especially when it comes to copywriting. If you can prove that it's stated and written somewhere, like you're good to go. And I, that definitely helped me. I went through the patent process myself years ago and surprisingly slow. And I'm like, are this many people like inventing things, which is exciting, but also like, are there not many people inventing things? <laughs> Same with um, trademarking or you're just like, I gotta wait almost a year and so I can remember my lawyer calling me and I'm like wait what are we talking about again oh yeah trademark okay cool is it all good like I don't know I this was like eight months ago we talked (laughs) so yeah you have to um which is pretty awesome but let's talk about manufacturing because that ain't easy and I know this also is some experience and when it comes to pricing stuff out, it can come to a bit of a shock. And I, and I mean that in the way of like outsiders wondering why a product might be priced at the price point it is. And I can remember having to not only pitch it, but really sell it to people of like why this product is quality, why we choose to manufacture here, whether you do or not, doesn't matter, but why certain products are manufactured in different parts of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe you can speak a little bit about the manufacturing process for you. Right, definitely. I learned a lot about manufacturing. Mm So I ended up working with this um, smaller manufacturing company um, based in New York City. It's owned by three brothers, and one of them heads up the New York City office more as just a rep here in New York City. And he's, he's the CEO, and then um, one brother is in Taiwan, and the other one is in Shanghai. And um, I, it was an instant click with him because of his mission to, um, to produce and manufacture sustainable products, and that's a big climate change and global warming. That's what I'm making my work in my, on my, in my dance company about. That we, we just created a massive hour-long uh, evening-length work called Earth, and that's a whole nother podcast we could talk about that forever but we gotta get lunch Eric. we gotta get lunch <laughs> yes we do um but manufacturing why a, what something is priced because people don't realize well what first of all um are the products durable mm-hmm. this bar could have been made with in, as with plastic and it could have been sold on an infomercial maybe it will for two payments of 29.99 mm-hmm. that's sweet spot that I found and that could sell all day long but is it gonna hold up is it gonna and we tried that and it and And yeah but but as but durability wise and sustainability are very important to me and and yes I I rather make the couture version of something and and then make the your own knockoff that's that's what I that's my philosophy is Um, but you know who knows if there's people so going back a little bit to the patent process, I was a little bit, this was my first time at the rodeo, so I was really nervous, way too nervous about people um, like keeping, signing NDAs, like everyone that I talked to had to sign an NDA, like that's good to have NDAs, but not to let it consume you that the idea is gonna get out there and someone's gonna steal it. I invite anyone to try to make a portable ballet bar because the process is so long and difficult, especially the engineering part. So the COG, do you know what the COG is? 
don't. Tell me more. Cost of goods. So the cost, cost of goods, goods yeah, are, are what brings a, a product um, up in price. So this is made, Burn Bar is made with very durable, sustainable aluminum and real wood to resemble a real ba uh, ballet bar. So it's, it's made with wood. ash. Yeah. yeah. So I had a, the product I had, had real wood on it. And we, same thing. We wanted sustainable materials and I did the QVC process. It did, it fell through, but what they wanted to COG it at, it was, we were just like, we can't, we can't do it because it's a different product. It's not going to be, a, it doesn't work the same. And it's not going to be good as good. And the wood, it lasts. Like you don't want to pay for something. And I'm with you like hundred percent. If it's not going to last in like then okay, cool, buy another one. But the sustainability, climate change, garbage, what are you gonna be throwing out these big bars? Or not, they're not big, they're very, they're very cute. So, but <laughs> this like, you know, it's not the size of a tissue. You know, it's like, it's waste. It, once it's made, it's already essentially gonna end up somewhere, yeah. someplace. But um, what, what hyped up the price for, for this um, was, it, well, well, first of all, what um, manufacturing in China um, is it, people are shifting because of this the trade war that's happening with China. That has affected directly affected my business and my startup and the cost of goods for Burn Bar. It Trump added twenty percent, and what so it, a COG is the cost of good, and DDP is or D, yeah the DDP is the duty D, duty landed price. So when you when you add up, um, so buy, for for the manufacturer to buy all the prod, all the products to put uh, and then the, the tooling to create a line, a manufacturing line. So that was $30,000 right there, just to create all the tools for all the parts. And there's like 40 different parts to one burn bar. Mm. People don't realize that tooling is, you know, one tool has to be made for one specific part of the bar. Um, but after that's paid for, um, each piece of the bar costs, like the one, the main bar costs like a dollar and then the, the wood costs like $2. And then when you start and then, going down the assembly line, it's only 29 cents to put together a burn bar. But when you start putting on packaging, mm -hmm. um, wrapping, shipping, the labels, the box, the, then you, the import, the, the freight insurance. And then for, for the company, they do soup to nuts. So they, they, they get it from, they make it, they package it, they carton it, then they take it to the port, they insure it on the, sh on the freight, and then they pick it up in the U.S. wherever you want it delivered to what, wherever you, your distribution center is, and then they deliver it there, and that's where the, the DDP lands, and that includes all the taxes, the insurance, everything for one bar. And then once it gets to the distribution center, that's when storage kicks in. That's when um, fulfillment <laughs> kicks in. Yeah, then the shipping and the, the cost of postage and everything. So it, it all adds up so fast. But what, what's killing, um, killing me right now is, is this uh, tax thing. And hopefully that'll go away because it really added a 20%. So we had to mark it up on the, on the flip side because we wouldn't make any any money uh, if, if it wasn't 
if well, that wasn't made up on the on this side of things you know what i mean yeah and going back to what you said of being the couture portable bar i i had a friend of mine say this analogy like are you pistachio ice cream or are you vanilla you can be either one but know which one you are and own it mm -hmm. right? you want to be of a certain standard and right. going through this process we started manufacturing in the usa and it was very important for us to like stay on the homeland. Guess what? We couldn't because of cost of good. It, like we couldn't mm -hmm. scale the way we wanted to. And well, and I don't know, like when Chinese New Year comes along and all of a sudden no one works for like six weeks, you're like, wait, wait a second. That's right now. Yeah. <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there is no communication right now with, and but so, there's a lot of challenges with working with a team in China because there and so there's a lot of good and a lot of bad um it's almost i don't know I, if i had to do it over again i would try to have this product made on this this side of the hemisphere somewhere in canada or mexico or south america somewhere that's a lot easier to get to and that's not 12 hours ahead so i have to talk to them at 10 o'clock at night because it's 10 in the morning the next day there. Communication is so difficult with when you're working with China. We work on a base camp uh, app where everybody is putting, you know, you can see the entire thread and conversation and upload documents and stay on track and on task. But if you think something's gonna take a year, it's gonna take two years. If you think, you know, it's, Everything takes way longer than the timeline that you create. And, you know, a lot of things fall through. A lot of things, you know, there's so many roadblocks that I never anticipated as an, you know, as a creator of this, you know, first truly portable ballet bar um, that, that came up that, and I was so many times I wanted to just say, you know what? frick this man i can't do this and my dance company and my outreach program but with the support and the team team that i had around me the small team that i had around me i would say that um what threw me for the biggest loop is the attorney's fees and then the cost of engineering and revamping and going back to the drawing board because we did heavy quality assurance and quality control and testing user testing and like started tweaking things and i think that was me being a perfectionist and wanting it to be perfect. But at some point you got to just say, okay, this is the first version and we can always make it better the next time. And this is it. Like, let's just go because, and that's a mistake that I think I made that I, I learned a big lesson is that, you know what, you just got to put it out there. And, and so it's out there now and, and, and it can only get better. It can only get better. And yeah. I always say like, I'm a first draft gal. Like I, you know, having the experience I had with that previous company, it, it was a bit run like that of like, okay, redo, redo, but nothing's getting, being put out. You know, it takes so long. And I was like, you know what? It is what it is. Like I got to get something out there. So when even just doing this stuff, like, I'm messy. I, I have mistakes in my grammar. I have mistakes that happen. I have things blow up. Like I just had my freaking old website crash my new website. Like, you know, it's a learning experience and it will only make it better in the future. It will only inform me more. And it's true feedback. It's true feedback where Absolutely. You, can't, you can't like simulate that. You can't really like 
I mean, you can think about all the bad scenarios and then something else happened. You're like, well, didn't think about that one. <laughs> and and it, I think it makes you a stronger leader. It makes you a stronger person. It just informs your life in so many different ways. And if you can get through it, if you can let those frustrations and obstacles not necessarily hold you back, but lead you on the right path, you know, it's just a new, it's a new direction. Okay, here we go. Can I get around it? Can I get through it? Over, under it? What's that like? That little kid's book, The Bear. <laughs> can, can you go over it? Can you go on? Yeah. I think about that all the time because I'm like, it's so true. Like, can I bust through this or do I have to go around or do over or is it like switch directions and being okay with that, right? And allowing that evolution to happen too and trusting that, you know, the universe has got you back, man. Yeah, I think exactly. I think you're 100% correct. And just going back to the legal part of it, mm -hmm. the patent part of it, if, if there's anybody out there that has a great idea and, that, you know, they're developing a product or something and, and they need legal advice, I would say if I had to do it again, I would have been, I would be a lot more skeptical and audition my attorneys and, and really weed through all of the ones that don't anyone out there that's listening don't ever work with a retired attorney that's 100 percent. do not do that because you'll never get a hold of them so don't try to cut corners and costs by working with someone who's not doing this full time and um, i would say you you kind of get what you pay for uh in the in the law world but it is the biggest cost of this whole entire journey that i've been on is the the legal expense and, and in new york city man it kills you it's so expensive i i would say that for my advice is if someone's going to do a patent for and for you out there get a flat fee you don't do hourly, get a flat fee for your patent um, attorney and try to work uh, contracts as a flat fee of, um, agreements instead of be doing hourly. Um, and, 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 you know, don't go with your, for, go with your instinct and your intuition. Um, and if something's not right, that means something's not right. Don't, that's, that was my, like, Thing was like, oh, Eric, you got to calm down. Not, it, it, something doesn't feel right, but just go with it. No, you. No, it I, is always. Oftentimes, I didn't listen to my intuition enough, and got screwed over. You know, a couple times by attorneys. So that's that's the those are the, the beware signs. Listen to those and and yeah. Great tips. I mean, the cutting corners, like there's no shortcut to the end of life, right? I mean, there is, I mean, that's morbid, but let's be real. Like there's like, it's not going to get you to your next birthday faster. It's not. Gonna, and if it gets you a little bit more money faster, I'm going to call call burnout. I'm going to call, I don't have sustainability. Is that sustainable? Is it, and maybe it does. I'm not saying every person that's successful or does who cuts corners is a nice person or whatever, like cares about that stuff. But when it comes to quality and in what you want to bring into your life and your business, think of this pistachio, think of the vanilla. What do you want to bring in and what is it worth? It is definitely worth the money you put into it if you because you'll open yourself up to receiving that back and um oh, now you said something else and now my brain is like totally fried you said stuff about 
cutting corners. <laughs> and being listening to your intuition. Yeah, listening to your intuition. A hundred thousand percent. The reason I'm not with the company I'm with anymore is because I had a feeling I was being cut out of a deal and I was a hundred percent being cut out of a deal and I was offered one percent net worth of the thing that I created. Mm -hmm. wow. Net worth is zero, people. That is that is after deductions. That is bottom line. I'd be cut out of everything. Yeah. I, and I was told to sign this paper of you can never teach bar again, blah, blah, blah. Like crazy, crazy stuff. And I was like, this isn't right. Something's not right. And I reached out and I asked for help and I, you know, got a, a lawyer involved and all of that. And if you feel it in your gut, it, it you got to ask, you put it out there. Hey, this happened. Anybody know, you know, they, they're not watching, you know what I mean? They can't dock you for asking, you know, like you no, can't get in trouble. You're not going to get sued for asking for help. Absolutely. And I, and friends and family can be shed different perspectives and, and a lot of light for free, free insight that from offering, you know, uh, angles that you never, thought of before and, and so as teachers too i mean how many times have you asked your pilates people your dance people i've gotten that's how i got my lawyer i i was like crying in the break room and they're like hey go talk to so-and-so up front she's a lawyer maybe she can give you advice mm -hmm. i Definitely. mean your network is so important like your family your friends you know and obviously like taking people's feedback we'll call it with with an open mind and not getting triggered by the, well, I want to do this anyways, you know, feeling. Yeah. And to your listeners out there, you know, they're, they're not called angel investors for nothing. There are angels around you. You just have to be open mm. to the fact that there are angels around and there's people who have already made it and made millions of dollars, but they still want to consult and maybe they charge, um, $60 an hour or $200 an hour for their consultancy, but maybe they love your project so much that they'll give you six months free of consulting. And, you know, there, there are those people, especially in New York City, that are cons business consultants and entrepreneurs that are willing to work with you for free, you know, you, it, and it never hurts to ask. You just say, listen, I don't have any more seed money. If this takes off, if this is going to make money, I promise to pay you in the future or you know don't don't get I, I would say to your listeners don't get overwhelmed with um asking for free advice definitely like you just said absolutely i mean hey uber got started they did not pay their employees they offered um stock in the company equity. yeah they offered equity nobody was being paid they all believed in the same mission and well jokes on everyone else you know like <laughs> exactly no i mean that's that was advice that i wish i had learned from the very beginning because when you're starting a when you when you're starting a startup company 
I'm, I wish I was more frugal and more business savvy with money. But my, if I had to do this all over again, I would do that Uber model where no one, no one gets paid, but they get sweat equity in the company and they believe in your product so much that they're willing to do this social media for free or help you with contracts or help you build your website or, you know, and you can't give thousands, you know, you can't give a hundred percent of equity away. Otherwise there's not going to be anything left for investors that come in later. But if, you know, if, if you offer like, you know, what I did was offer 2.5% sweat equity for help and then paid, you know, minimum wage for, for consultancy work. And, and that's, um, that's worked for me um, so far. It's so smart. It's getting scrappy, getting creative and using that creative brain to figure out those things. And I think that's such great advice. And I know uh, we did say hard out at five. So I want to wrap things up, but I feel like we can talk forever, Eric. So <laughs> for me. Yeah, I have a few more minutes. So feel okay, free to ask me a couple more questions. Yes, I have my last two standards. The la uh, first one is heard at the bar. So this is something you've heard literally at the ballet bar. You've heard about bar or like myths or something that like you know to be true that you'd like to speak a little bit more upon. And I can uh, give you an example if you want me to give you an example. Sure. Yeah, give me an example. So, it's like, sure. yeah, like, oh, bar is just for women. You know, that's a big Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. Um, or something I, funny a client has said or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I think that one of the biggest, exact, you're 100% correct. I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that bar is just for women. It is one of the most difficult, challenging uh, forms of exercise that targets glutes, quads, thighs, and core. What's wonderful about berm bar is that it's based around fingertip pressure only. I think one of the biggest um, mistakes people make is that they rely on the bar way too much. All right, and, creation and to the choir, keep going. <laughs> Burn bar is a freestanding bar. So it is not, I mean, beginners can use it and it's height adjustable. So kids can use it because it lowers down to the, you know, you know, lowers way down, but mm -hmm. it goes to about, you know, um, I'm not sure how tall it's at the traditional bar height, 32 inches off the, I'm not, I don't, I forgot what traditional bar height it was, but anyway, it's height adjustable, but it's really meant for fingertip pressure only. This bar can take body weight, but the whole technique and the whole philosophy and the mission behind burn bar is that you use fingertip pressure only. And what's wonderful about it is that you don't have to turn around. So if you're watching some, uh, a class on, on you're streaming it you just put move the bar to the other to your left side and you don't have to turn around so you and then look over your shoulder like what are they doing again that's what's great about burn bars you can move it from the right to the left or you can put it right in front of you but it's really the misconception i think one of the things biggest mistakes um people who take bar is that they rely on the bar way too much and this thing about tucking oh, eric horrible it is the most horrible thing I've ever seen in my life. It's so bad for your posture. Tucking at the bar is the worst. Why aren't you in alignment? I thought this was all based on alignment. But I mean, it's just I, crazy. Because like, I made a t-shirt uh, that said, get, get the tuck out. 
Get the tongue out, yes. Oh my God, I love that slogan. That's great. It's, yeah. I did not trademark it because I was like, I'm not going through this process again. I, it was way too expensive and long for me to want to keep trademarking all of the slogans <laughs> I say. So I just, whatever, hashtag. Um, yes, yeah, but get right? the tuck out or untuck it or something. <laughs> yeah, and you know, bar comes in many formats and uh, the key words that I hear from the world out there is using the bar for leverage and that's a totally different approach where the bar needs to be bolted into the ground and into the wall so you can use it like a trx suspension system and mm -hmm. then it starts to be something different right it's a different form right. but traditional ballet bar and i am with you and I'll share this with the audience when i teach my teacher trainings the bar is there for your support it is there to support the building of it's your not body. a crutch it's not a crutch it's and then if you can do everything because i'll get a lot of questions of like can i teach this class if i don't have a bar i'm like absolutely because in ballet you are your foundation is set up two hands on the bar then one hand then no hands exactly. and when i teach you know it's called fold over i call it you know mid-level bar but when you're doing it's a flat back it's a modern dance flat back if you can do that without holding the bar, you are fierce, fierce, fierce. It's hard. And mm -hmm. it should be adjusted for the general public in general. Because if you're pulling on it, you're really leaning on it, and you're just kicking, you're like, who cares? It's a fancy leg. You know, you could do fancy legs in another position. And um, bringing that to the tuck, not understanding where that came from and I won't go through the whole history here, but again, I teach in my trainings of like, what was happening at the time when this tuck was happening? It was jazz. It was, yeah. you know, Weimar Republic Berlin. It was sexy hip thrusting. It was meant to be about sex and it was not about alignment. Joseph Pilates thought the straighter the spine, the better. So he was like, what? Flat spine to the mat. Guess what? We know better now. You, I had a, um, a student, I'm going to forget who actually said it, but I just taught her in London over um, Christmas break. I believe it was Naomi who said it, so shout out. The tuck is a movement, not a position. And I was like, boom, you nailed it. I was like, that's exactly in like one phrase. It is a movement, not a position. Can you do it? Yes. Can you tuck and extend your leg? No. <laughs> 100% agree. That's a great, great way to put it. And I, it's a tip. I was like, can you make a t-shirt? Like, <laughs> I'm just going to make t-shirts. But it, and it, it stifles what we do. And I think your product, being able to bring it back of what is, what are we trying to achieve? We're trying to achieve strength, balance, flexibility to bring into the world. And not in the studio. One. We want core strength. People want to work on their abs, their glutes, and their quads. So do a bar class and do it with fingertip pressure only. <laughs> I, 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 the people who run Exhale, I love them. They're, they, um, I was at the World Bar. Did you know there was a World Bar Summit in Fort Lauderdale? Have you I, heard about that? I, I do. I potentially will have an interview next week. Um, fingers crossed. But it yeah, you should definitely go. And it's it's a, it was a really cool experience because the reaction to from 
everybody in the bar world, quote unquote, in the United States is there. And the exhale um, peeps loved Burn Bar. They were like, and I used it and they were used, and the, the bar that was being, that sponsored the World Bar Summit that they used for all the workshops was this thing called Stroops. I'm not sure if you've ever heard right? it. I've seen it. It's a round communi- communal bar, yeah. but it's not even, it wasn't even made as a bar. It was made for like resistance bands, but, and you have to have someone on the opposite side of you. Otherwise the bar just will flip over. So I'm not sure what the, you know, I'm, I don't really understand it. And the whole point of me, um, creating burn bar is so you have your own individual space and that the void part of the studio can be utilized and you're not looking at uh, someone in front of you and in back of you at the bar that's the thing that I can't stand about bar classes is mm-hmm. that there's a bar class and it's all sweaty and steamy and then you're standing at some, a bar with a sweaty person in front and in back of you but in with burn bar you have your own individual kinosphere like your own little space and you can use the empty voided space and it's portable. I hold hands at the bar. I love holding hands at the bar. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think, I mean, what you're bringing to the community is really super, super innovative and it really is questioning well, what is, what are we, what is our relationship with the bar? And this is what I question my training is like, what it's, whatever it is, be clear about it. But the clearer you are, the more effective that you're going to come across as a teacher and the more, more things that your students are going to get out of it and the more the body's going to get out of it. And, you know, it, um, to just kind of keep doing this brings it back to the tuck too. And, and even just the bars we use, it brings it back to like, well, why are we using this? Could it be better? Could it be different? Is it okay? Sure. Why not? You know, it just gets the brain thinking. So we're not just these robots repeating fun little phrases like, you know, tuck yeah, you know, like they're fun. Their bar has lots of fun phrases, but what, you know, do we need to keep saying them? Do we, can we question them? Is it okay to question them? And, um, and do we always have to do bar in a studio? Why not not take bar outside? Everyone loves to do all these boot classes outside in the park, at the beach, by the pool, in your backyard. Burn bar can be taken outdoors. Mm-hmm. I know that the people from Excel, I think they they got a New York Times article about doing bar, but they were holding on to a tree, which is super cool. Like, why not hold on to a tree and do bar? But with Burn bar, you can actually do a, a big group class in Central Park, which we've done before. We've done, we're doing pop-ups all over the place and Equinox, the E by Equinox uptown on Madison just ordered um, bar, bar, yeah, for, for their studio. So hopefully we get those soon and, and I'd love to share it with you. So you're more than welcome to come and hang out in my studio and use Burn Bar. And, and I want, I'd love to know what you think of it in person because I don't think you've, You've I seen it in person. I've right? seen it in person. I have not. Um, I'm going to ask you one more question, and then we can coordinate because the listeners are going to start hearing coffee talk in a second. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah. But the last question for you is, what's in your bar? B-A-R. And now Lauren, my last guest, she also wanted to add, could this be a snack bar? And I say yes. So whatever coffee bar, snack bar, juice bar, smoothie bar, what's in your bar? 
What's in my bar? Your fave. Go to drink, go to snack. What you always have on you. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm a water gal. I'm boring. I'm Nespresso. I would have to say. Yeah. Nespresso bar. Nespresso bar. Yeah. I can't function without my Nespresso. And I have one built into my wall in my oh. condo. Yes. <laughs> it's like one of those Miele big Nespresso machines. In the, and so it's, that's my favorite thing in my condo. There's and, an enormous Nespresso shop. I believe it's on Park, maybe Madison. I go to the doctor up there on like 74th and He's mm -hmm. glorious. So, you know, shout out to Nespresso. Oh, that's amazing. Well, before I wrap this up, can you tell the listeners where to find and follow you? Yes, they can. Um, if, if you're interested in Burn Bar, it's currently sold out, but we're taking, we have a waiting list. Um, and you can go to burnbar.com. It's B-U-R-N-B-A-R-R-E, burnbar.com. Or follow us on Instagram at official burn, or at burnbar technique. And then we have at burnbar. So in the app uh, burnbar technique page is, is just a, um, simple bar exercises that we offer to the community. And we've been doing that well before burn bar was made. And we were using just gym equipment to you to, to show demonstrate bar exercises and a, a shout out to Nicole Baker who um, is Always in working who I've been working with since the beginning yeah she's in the videos and um, and so yeah so burn bar at burn bar I'm at burn bar technique and burnbar.com amazing thank you Eric thank you so much Michelle Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. If you'd like to write into the podcast, send an email to info at barvariations.com. You can follow us all over social media at Bar Variations. You can also visit the website at www.barvariations.com, where you will find show notes, archive episodes, and more. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts.